Good morning. This is Matthew 16, 13 through 25. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, good morning. We're good. Welcome uh, to Midtown 12 South. Uh, Happy New Year. Um, and go Titans. Yeah. Bunch of Christians in the room. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> sorry, Jesus joke. Um, Hey, uh, welcome to Midtown 12 South. My name is Elliot Cherry. I'm the pastor here, and um, it's a joy to have you with us. Uh, let me say a few things about what is about to happen and what we're doing. Uh, Midtown Fellowship is one church in this city, but Midtown Fellowship has multiple congregations in this city. So we are one church with multiple congregations. You are currently at the 12 South congregation, and we have one down the street at Granny White. Uh, we have one on the east side across the river, Midtown East, and then one in Creve Hall, and we have more coming you'll hear about, but normally what happens is we're a team. We are a family of churches and congregations, and we share our money and our resources, and one of the other things that makes us a team is every pastor, every sermon is actually based on the same scripture passage, and uh, we get together each week, and we have a fellowship of pastors that we talk about life and the sermon and so forth. So normally we're preaching through a book of the Bible. Normally we're preaching on the same passage from the Bible week in and week out across our family of churches. This month, though, in January, we historically do this. This month, we are kind of taking a break uh, from being a family, because we've been around enough family over the holidays. Um, but we are, that's kind of true, but we are, uh, we are taking a break, and, and here's what each congregation is doing. We're, we're spending three weeks talking about what, it, what does our local body need at 12 South? Maybe what do we need to hear that maybe is a little bit different to the pertinent needs of the East Side congregation or the Creve Hall congregation? And Hopefully it's all very similar at the end of the day, but also what is it specifically that we need as a, as a family and as a body here? So if you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. We're going to spend about three weeks talking about who we are, why we do it, what's coming this year, a little bit of a vision series, and I will only make one 2020 vision uh, <laughs> joke. I already did, and it didn't, didn't land, so... Um, <laughs> 
It's done. No more 2020 vision jokes. Uh, but then in, uh, at the end of this month, we will pick up in our spring series. We'll be in the book of Luke. And so if you're here and you're kind of checking us out, you're going to get a chance to hear over the next couple of weeks who we are, what we believe, why we do church the way we do church, uh, and kind of what's coming for us over the next uh, calendar year. But I got to pause there and I got to tell you that this is hard for me. It's not hard for me to have dreams and a vision uh, and hopes for what our, our family would be like and look like and, and, and be about here in 12 South. That's not hard for me. It's hard for me to talk about a vision for our, our community and knowing that we have visitors in the room and, and people who are just exploring who Jesus might be. And you don't really need to hear a vision, right? You, you, need, you need to hear about Jesus. And so here's, I was with some friends last night sharing my insecurities and my uh, fears about this. And, um, and, and they just said, one of them paused and said, hey, um, your vision, uh, if, if, crazy idea, uh, your vision is the same as Jesus' vision for this place, um, that's good for whoever might hear it. Like the vision that Jesus has for 12 South is good for you to hear, whether you're a longtime member here or a first-time visitor here. And so I hope that today you're going to hear some vision and why we do things the way we do things. I hope you also are going to hear Jesus, that coming off of a hard holiday season, coming into a new year, and, and there's depression, and there's shame, and there's frustration, and there's wounds, and all those things, I know that a vision doesn't uh, speak to those things, but Jesus does. And so we're going to talk about our vision here uh, today and why we do things the way we do things here, but we're also going to talk about Jesus. So I hope you're here um, this morning, ready to hear about Jesus, because he, he brought you here this morning. But as we look kind of down the runway of 2020 at some things that are coming at us, things that will be happening this year, um, there's a lot. There's a lot that I want to tell you about that's happening at Midtown 12 South coming down the pipeline. One is, we need a worship leader, because uh, our worship leader that was on full-time staff here uh, abandoned us uh, and left us. He didn't actually do that. He kind of did, but not really. Uh, but he was called to something else, and he's been, he said when he stepped down, hey, I'm going to volunteer, and, and I'll still make Sundays happen for you guys, even though I have this other full-time job, uh, until my wife and I have our baby. Well, that happened this week. Uh, so congratulations, I guess, to them. Uh, but um, no, we are very excited for them, but now we're kind of in a scramble, um, and we are going to have, you'll hear more about this next week, but we are going to have a, an interim worship leader for the spring, but we're still very much looking for who is our full-time worship leader going to be. That's a big need here, and that's coming. You can join us in praying about that and, and asking who the Lord would bring here. The other thing is we're hiring an assistant pastor here uh, to, to help carry the load and shoulder the load, someone to help uh, be a shepherd among us. Uh, we're interviewing for that, and you'll hear more about that as it's coming. That's a big need. Um, here, here's maybe the, the biggest thing that's happening uh, to us this year, and maybe even uh, from us this year, is, good catch, we are, uh, we're going to be planting Midtown Congregation number five primarily out of this congregation. Matt Avery, who if you've been around, you've heard him uh, teach and preach. Many of you have had coffee with him and gotten to know him, and he's going to be planting Midtown Congregation number five in this city, and you're going to hear more about that over the coming weeks. That's a big deal. And so we're kind of building up and trying to prepare our people to say, hey, um, you need to know about some things that are coming because that's what good parents do. We, we tell our kids, we prepare them for things that are going to happen so they're not shocked when they're happening. A couple years ago, my oldest daughter was about to start kindergarten, and um, somebody was not doing well with that, uh, and I was struggling big time with it, uh, and so was she. She was afraid and all the changes, and so we did a little daddy-daughter overnight um, just to say, hey, uh, everything's going to be okay. She had to tell me that uh, many times, um, but... Uh, 
that, that hey, hey, some things are going to change. Let me warn you. Let me, let me, let me tell you about some of the things that are going to change. You're not going to be home as much. And you're going to make new friends and all this stuff. Because that's what, that's what good parents do. They, they prepare their kids for the changes that are coming. That's what we're doing in this series. There's some big changes coming. New pastors, new worship leaders, new congregations, new people, new stories. All, a bunch of new things are going to be happening. And so we want to prepare ourselves to not be surprised when them. Maybe even, dare I say, that you would pray about being a part of some of those new things. Like going with Matt Avery to his new church plant in this city. And you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But that you would consider being a part of what God is doing uh, at Midtown 12 South. We're going to be spending the next three weeks all in the same passage of Scripture that Rachel just read for us, Matthew chapter 16. It's an infamous passage. We're going to be kind of walking through it, looking at what does it mean to be the church? Uh, what does Jesus say about his church? What is the church's focus supposed to be? What, are, what kind of people are we to be as the church and so forth? And so this Matthew 16 passage will be our guide over the next three weeks. Let me just give you a little bit of context for this passage. Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's doing miracles and teachings, and the crowds are growing, and he is becoming infamous, insta-famous, if you will, and he is being very, becoming very renowned in the, in the area of Galilee. People are knowing who he is. And so Jesus pulls his disciples aside, those that are closest to him, and he says, hey, I know I've got this big following. Everyone's following me around wanting to see more magic tricks. Uh, and he, but he says, hey, just quick poll question. Who do they all say that I am? Like disciples, what's the word on the street about me? Tell me what the lowdown is. Who are people saying that I am? And the disciples give an answer and they say, we well, you know some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say, oh, there's all these theories about you, Jesus. And then he goes, yeah, that's, that's cool. Real question, set up, uh, the, the first question was a setup for, for the real question, who do you say that I am? I know what they're saying. Who do you say that I am? Plural you. Like, who do the disciples of mine believe that I am? And then we pick up in verse 15, uh, or verse 16, uh, the answer to that question. Who do you say that I am? Can you throw verse 16 up there, Darren? I think it's on the first slide of Scripture. Verse 16, Jesus has just said, who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So, will not prevail against it. So, here's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus says here something very interesting. On this rock, Peter, of the confession you just made, I will build my church. Now, it's interesting. Newsflash, you're in church right now. You've, you, have, you have come to a corporate worship service of a church gathering. So, you might want to know what Jesus has to say about this word. But what's even more unique is that in this passage is the first time Jesus uses this word, and he really doesn't say it a whole lot else. He says it a couple other times. But this is the most powerful, power-packed, potent section of Scripture where Jesus talks about this little word right here. And I know when I even say that word that everyone in the room has semantics about it. Everyone has past pain. Everyone has stories they've heard. Everyone has their own journey with this little atom bomb of a word, church. And so it would be helpful for us that we've all got narratives about church. It would be very helpful for us, though, if we said, well, what does Jesus say about church? Well, he doesn't talk about it a whole lot. Let's see what he had to say about it. This is maybe the main passage in all of Scripture where Jesus himself talked about his church. And so we should be asking the question, what in the world did Jesus mean? Well, interestingly, he used a word called ekklesia. It's a Greek word. 
Jesus didn't invent this Greek word. This is not a Bible word. Jesus plucked a Greek word out of the culture and said, I'm about building my church. Church was, ecclesia was, this is all that word means. Ecclesia is simply a gathering or assembly of people around, gathered around a certain idea or belief. Can everyone see that? Don't really care if you can't, because I can't change it, okay? But hopefully you can in the back. Jesus is saying, I'm building my ecclesia, a gathering of people around a certain idea or belief. And so we should be asking ourselves, if Jesus is using the word ecclesia, a group of people, an assembly, a gathering, gathered around a certain idea or belief, what was the central idea or belief that Jesus intended for his ecclesia? Well, he told us, my church. The central idea for Jesus' ecclesia, newsflash, is Jesus. His teaching, his, his life, his work, his crucifixion and resurrection, the body of Jesus' pers- whole personhood is the central idea of his church. Jesus is the center of his ecclesia. And so then we would start maybe needing to ask, okay, so if Jesus in this section is talking about my church, the church that's centered around, the assembly of people, the gathering of people that's gathered around, the central idea, which is Jesus, what does Jesus have to say about his church in this passage? Well, a lot could be said. Uh, you are currently at one of those gatherings. You are currently a part of a public corporate ecclesia gathering of the church of Jesus There's a lot to be said, even from this passage, about this central idea of Jesus and his idea for his ecclesia, for his church. He says something radical here that will will pave the way, if you will, for the next couple of weeks of our discussion around church and who we are and why we do what we do. Look with me again at verse 19, at what Jesus says, something very intense and powerful about his church. Verse 19 says, he's talking to the church, to his disciples, and I will give you, the ecclesia, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I will give you, ecclesia, I will give you, church, what does he say? The keys of the kingdom and here's uh, the, the image that Jesus is using, keys of the kingdom. Keys meaning like something that unlocks a treasure chest, something that unlocks a door, something that opens something up. And Jesus is saying, hey church, I'm giving you the people, my gathering, my assembly of people gathered around me, I'm giving you the keys of my kingdom. What's his kingdom? Well, this is, I know we're, we're moving really fast. Anytime you hear the biblical word kingdom, you should think of something. It should create a semantical association of something that whenever the kingdom of God is mentioned, it's always talking about bringing health, bringing wholeness, and bringing peace to the world. The biblical word that sums up all of that is shalom. So here's what Jesus just said. Hey church, my ecclesia, my gathering, my people who's gathered around me, the central idea of I'm going to give you something very powerful. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, the kingdom that will bring health, wholeness, and peace to the world, the kingdom that will bring shalom to the world. Guess who holds the keys to that? Yes, Jesus does. He's still the king over all the earth, but he gave it to his people. He gave the keys of health, healing, and wholeness to his people, to his ecclesia. 
The church has been charged with bringing shalom to the world in every area of life or every sphere of life, if you will. So let's talk about some of those. Let's talk about some of the spheres of life. Like maybe you find yourself in a home sphere, like you've got a family, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a father, you're a child, you're a brother, you're a sister. You have a sphere of home in your life. Or maybe your vocation has you in education. Maybe you are currently in school, or maybe you are currently teaching and you're working as a, as a teacher in a classroom. Or maybe you work in finance, or maybe you work in hospitality, or maybe you work in this dang industry known as the music industry, or maybe you work in healthcare, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you work in recreation. I don't know. Whatever sphere God has you in, that is a sphere that he has put you in. And Jesus has said, hey church, these spheres that I've put you in, I'm giving you the keys to bring the kingdom to those spheres that you can bring shalom to the spheres that you find yourself in. You can bring health and wholeness and peace to those spheres. So we should stop and ask for a second. How's that going? Like, like let's ask this question. Um, would you say that there is shalom, health, wholeness, and peace in your home? Like when you look at your familial relationships, I don't care what role you play in your family, if you're not even on speaking terms with your family, would you say yeah, you know, the words that really come to mind when I think about my home life or my family relationships is health, wholeness, and peace. There's nothing wrong with it. It's all great. There's no difficulty there. Or maybe if you work in, I don't know, the healthcare industry. You're a doctor. You're in, you, you, you work for a hospital. Whatever. You're a nurse. Whatever it is. Would you say, as you look at the state of healthcare in, I don't know, don't even do the United States. How about Nashville? Would you say that the state of healthcare is full of health, wholeness, and peace? There's nothing wrong with it? That everybody, we've, we've figured it out and we don't need that the kingdom of God has fully come to the healthcare sphere. Would, would we all agree on that? Didn't think so. How about this one? How about, here's another great sphere. How about the sphere of justice in the world? Would you say that like if you're a lawyer or a judge or a social worker or an advocate, would you say that, man, justice is reigning in Nashville? Like there's health and wholeness and equity and fairness and it, and it, it is just beaming in the, on the streets of Nashville that everyone is getting justice and it's, and it's ruling and we're all doing great. Would you say that the kingdom has come to the spheres that you find yourself in? Probably not. But Jesus just said in Matthew 16, hey church, hey people, hey gathering of my people, I have given you the keys to my kingdom to bring shalom to all those spheres, all of them. Who holds the keys to heal the justice system? The church. Who holds the keys to bring uh, health, wholeness, and peace to family systems? The church. And th those aren't my words. That may sound insane, but Jesus just said, guess who's going to be holding the keys to bring shalom everywhere? My church. So how do we heal all of that? How do we reconcile all of that? How does the church bring shalom to the world? Because Jesus just promised that the church does hold the keys to the kingdom. What is Midtown 12 South's role in bringing shalom to all these spheres of Nashville? Well, this is where the Bible helps make a very important distinction. And to help explain this distinction, a famous theologian from 120 years ago has coined a phrase. 
famous theologian named Abraham Kuyper. He was Dutch from the Netherlands. He was also the prime minister of uh, the Netherlands for, for a time. Can you imagine a, a, a prime minister of a country also being a wonderful theologian? Imagine, it'd be amazing. And he, he coined this phrase. He wrote extensively, gave all kinds of lectures. Read everything that you can understand by him because you can only understand about 5% of it, but it's brilliant. Here's what Abraham Kuyper coined. The how, how in the world will the church bring the keys of the kingdom? He coined this phrase, I can't spell, sphere sovereignty, however you spell that publicly um, for everybody. Sphere sovereignty is Abraham Kuyper's phrase, and here's what he talks about. Here's why this is so helpful. Is that in the world that Jesus is king over, Jesus has given authority to his church to bring the kingdom to these different spheres, meaning sphere sovereignty. The church has the authority to bring the kingdom. The church has the means and the resources to bring the kingdom of shalom to the world, whatever spheres they find themselves in. But there's one sphere on here we haven't mentioned yet. And that's the sphere, if you can see this, the sphere of the local church. Okay, all right, and I will write up here if you can see it, 12 South. Like the institution and the organizational entity that is the local church of 12 South. And so what Kuiper does is Kuiper makes the distinction, and it's very helpful and it's biblical, that this gathering and this assembly of people falls into two different categories. The first is the organizational church. He actually calls it the institutional church. Like the, the entity that is Midtown 12 South, this building that you were in, the staff that's here, the, the money it costs to run this institution, this organization, that's the organizational church. But then there's a whole other layer of the people, the ecclesia, that is the organism of the church, meaning the actual people that make up the assembly. The organization and the organism, or the institution and the people. And this is so helpful, because they are very interrelated, but they are also very different. The organization and the organism share a mission, but they have different roles. And the church as the institution and the church as a people, it's very helpful for us to understand this distinction. Roy, one of the elders, said this during our call to worship. We say it often here at Midtown. That you, we, we've historically said, you didn't come to church this morning. You are the church if you belong to Jesus. That's Midtown's way of trying to express this distinction. And we would maybe tweak it just a little bit and say, you didn't only come to church this morning. But maybe more importantly, you are the church. You did come to church, but you being a member of the body of Christ, you being in this room gathered for corporate worship makes this organizational church something. And so you didn't only come to corporate worship this morning. You also are the church, and it's very helpful to understand the difference. And the church as the organization is to nurture and nourish the members of the kingdom who as the organism, when they leave this place, they will go back to the spheres that God has called them in and they will bring the keys of the kingdom with them. The, the organizational church, the institutional church, Midtown 12 South, is to feed and nourish the members of the kingdom who are here among us and then feed them and strengthen them and build them and encourage them and grow them so that when they go back to the spheres that God has them in, they will bring shalom with them. So let me ask you this very practical question. Is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the organizational church, is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the organization, to eradicate poverty in Nashville? Is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the organization, to fix all of the broken educational systems in Nashville? 
Is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the organization, to end racism and injustice in this city? Is it the job of Midtown 12 South, the organization, to make sure that Shalom has come to this city in all of its fullness? No. Is it the job of the organism, the people of 12 South, to do that? Yes. And we expect it to be done by February. No, I'm kidding. But is it, is, it the role, is it the role of Midtown 12 South, the organization, to do all of that work? No. Is it the job of the people, the ecclesia, the assembly, the gathering of God's people in the spheres that God has them in and has placed them in? Maybe even just the sphere of your home. Maybe you're a full-time mom and you're going, I don't know what sphere is mine. I know your children. Is it, has it been your call? Has God put you in that sphere with authority, with the keys of the kingdom to go back to that sphere and bring shalom there? Yes. The organization and the organism, very helpful for us to understand the difference. So how would the organization of the church, Midtown 12 South, the institution, in Kuiper's words, nurture and build and create and strengthen the organism of the church who are strong and vibrant and alive? Well, if you remember sixth grade biology, you remember ecosystems, organisms. Organisms are living things. Organisms need certain things to thrive and be alive. They need food. They need certain habitats. They need certain environments. There is interdependence in ecosystems. And so the organization of the church is creating the, the ecosystem. It's creating the, the, the surrounding needs that will feed and nourish and grow and bring to life the organism that calls this place home. So the organization of the church is with living bread and living water to feed and nurture and nourish the organism that comes in here hungry and thirsty every week. The organization of the church, the institution of the church, the sphere of the local church, the organization, has been given authority, sovereignty in its sphere over certain things. And here's some of the things that Midtown 12 South, the organization of the church, the institution of the church, has been given authority over. We call them the means of grace. Here's what they are. The word, the preaching of the word that's happening right now. Worship, the sacraments, fellowship, prayer, really boring and mundane things that the Bible says has been given to the local church to feed and sustain and grow the organism of the church, to grow them up and bring them to life and to nourish them and nurture them and protect them and build them up. So in the words of James K.A. Smith, who has written about Kuiper, you can go read everything, go read everything Kuiper wrote, if you can, and then go read everything James K.A. Smith has also written. He says, only, 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 if there are healthy, transformative congregations where people encounter the risen Jesus, can we hope to have a transformative effect on the world around us. If you care about civil society, you should care about the health of the local church because it is inextricably tied, because the organism is being sent out into the spheres they've been called into, and they won't survive out there. You won't survive out there. Guess where you get your strength? Guess where you get your nurturing? Guess where you get your very life? Right here, through the means of grace. In other words, if you want to change the world, shepherd the sheep. Feed the sheep, protect the sheep, nurture the sheep, Lead the sheep, guide the sheep. 
Which would lead us then to the question maybe of asking, okay, in this sphere of sovereignty, how does Midtown 12 South go about administering the means of grace to the organism that is among us? How does the institution go about feeding and nurturing the people that call this place home? Well, again, in this means of grace, it, it might sound very boring, very mundane, but it leads us here to focus on just a few things. We are not a program-driven church. It's what we pour all of our money and time and resources into. It's also really healthy for all of us to remember at the beginning of a new year that we are finite, that we can't do everything. It's very helpful for the organization and the organism to remember our frame, to remember that we are hum- humans that have limits. I'm reading a book right now started it over the break, called In Praise of Slowness, Challenging the Cult of Speed. Um, and I was reading it over the break, and I asked my seven-year-old, uh, hey, read the title of this book out loud. Uh, and she read it, In Praise of Slowness. And I said, do you think Daddy needs to read that book? And she said, yes. And she said, very badly, Daddy. And I said, why? And she said, because you're always in a hurry. So I disciplined her. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, you don't talk to me that way. <laughs> Let me show you something I'll do in a hurry. No, I'm kidding. Um, here's what he says uh, in, in the uh, first or second chapter. Um, he, he's quoting the Italian Futurist Manifesto of 1909, which I know you've all read recently. The Italian Futurist Manifesto of 1909. This is 110 years old. This is one of the tenets of the Futurist Manifesto 110 years ago. We declare that the splendor of the world has been enriched by a new beauty, the beauty of speed. So for 110 years, that philosophy has driven the modern age. And here's what we all believe on some levels about our spheres and our influence. Do everything and do it fast. Do everything and do it fast. And do it efficiently and do it excellently. Why wouldn't you? You have the technology, you have the resources, you don't need as much sleep as you think you need. You can be in great shape and be a great dad and be a great, um, a, a great lawyer. You can do all the things perfectly. Do more and do it faster. But here's where sphere sovereignty comes in. Sphere sovereignty comes in and it brings us back into our finite nature and goes, you can't do everything. And by the way, Jesus hasn't asked you to do everything. <laughs> That there is a, a slowness, there is a pace, there is a focus that sphere sovereignty gives the organization and the organism. That the organization is not and cannot be responsible for everything, but the organism, through slow, unhurried, patient nourishing. Do you know that like living things take a long time to grow? Like it's, it's not instant. Growth in the gospel, growth in Jesus is not instant. That's why all of Jesus' metaphors and Paul's in the New Testament that talked about spiritual growth were agricultural metaphors. Because things take time to be planted and watered and given the right elements and sunlight and, and, and time and space. And then there's a harvest. Like it takes time to grow as an organism. And the organization is committed to planting and watering and nurturing and protecting and growing the organism. The organism is called to bring the keys of the kingdom with the authority of Jesus to every sphere. The authority of Jesus, the kingdom that he's bringing, is full of health, wholeness, and peace. Just finished Lord of the Rings a couple weeks ago. You're welcome. You're only going to hear a few more 
illustrations from Lord of the Rings, then we're done. But this is, this, is, this is Aragorn. This is the king. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. The house of healing. Like this, this is Jesus saying, yeah, that's me. My kingdom brings healing. And guess who I'm giving those hands to? Guess who I'm giving the authority and the power and the means to bring health and healing and wholeness and peace to? You. You are my witnesses. You are my ambassadors, the Bible says over and over again. The keys of the kingdom don't only belong to Jesus now. They've been given to the ecclesia. They've been given to the people to bring the hands of healing to all of their spheres. So how? How does that happen here at Midtown 12 South? This, this slow drip of nourishment for the organism over time. How does that happen? Well, you're, you're participating in it right now. Even if you're not listening, you're participating in it. That there, there is a corporate worship of a mundane, regular Sabbath rhythm that we gather to worship and place ourselves underneath Scripture and to sing and to fellowship and to pray and to be together. And that would challenge us in the mundaneness of week in and week out, Sunday Sabbath rhythms, gathering for corporate worship. That on any given Sunday, when you want to go to St. Mattress and stay in bed and stay there instead of coming here, sorry, another Jesus joke, that when you want to, when you want to stay there, that you would go, no, you know what? I'm, I'm a part of a living thing, the organism, and in order to, to be nourished and fed, I need, to, I need to go get some nourishment. I need this. My soul needs this. It's good for me if I intend to grow. It also happens over coffee. It happens through relationships. It happens through the sacraments that we're about to partake in right now. And I'm totally going to make a shameless plug. The way that we at Midtown have decided to, to administer the, 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 the fellowship together that is a means of grace that grows us together is through our small groups. Now, I need to be honest. I don't really care if, if you're in a Midtown small group or not. I, I want you in Midtown small group. We're trying to make room for you. But we would love to see you, you would love to see you, gathered together regularly around God's word with other believers, asking the Holy Spirit to, to feed you and nurture you. Are there any small group leaders in the room? Small group leaders or apprentices, raise your hand, please. Okay, so if you're not in one, find one of those people. Keep them up, keep them up. Don't be, don't be ashamed. Find one of those people after the service and say, hey, why do you do this crazy thing letting a bunch of strangers into your living room every Thursday? Why do you do that? can I come? And they'll say, sure. And if they don't say sure, it's because they're full. But they will say, yeah, come on. We would love to gather with you as a means of grace to help nurture you, the organism. Why? So that you will be fed by the organization of the church to be sent back into your sphere to bring the keys of the kingdom to it. Organization is called to feed, nourish, protect, rebuke, disciple, care for, guard, guide, lead, the organism that finds its way into this building each Sunday so that when we enter the spheres we've been called to, we have everything we need. The organization sustains and supplies the needs to the organism. So the question we should be asking is, means of grace, word, I meant to write those down up here, word, sacrament, prayer, worship, and fellowship, these means of grace, these ordinary means of grace, how do these uh, end up feeding and nourishing the organism that is then sent back out into the world? How does that happen? Well, we talked about the ways that it happened, but what is, what is, like the, what is the food that they're giving away? What is the, what is the, the elements and the, and the nature of the food that we're feeding the organism? What do we feed the sheep with? Well, our passage actually shows us 
Throw back up there, Darren, if you will, verse 15 and 16. Jesus has just um, asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And then he says in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Christ, when Peter says that right there, is a Greek word, Christos, which is the Greek equivalent of a Hebrew word, Mashiach, which means Messiah. So when Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, Peter, by the way, which would have been true of just about all of Jesus' disciples, would have had basically the entire Old Testament memorized. And so when Peter says, you're the Messiah, what Peter knows, that he's not flippantly using that word. Peter says, I know everything about what's been promised about you. There's 10,000 years of promises riding on our Messiah, and you're it. When, when Peter says to Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, he's saying, hey Jesus, the hope of the world is resting on you. The hope of every nation is resting on you. You have come to cast out the darkness. You have come to pardon sin. You have come to be the judge and the justifier. You have come to build a new creation. And I'm saying, Jesus, without wasting any of my words, I think you're it. I think you're the guy. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And so, this is what Jesus says back to Peter. Yeah, that rock, that foundation of what you just said, I'm gonna build my church on that. So part of what the church is to be about in its sphere is to announce and proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, to, to announce and proclaim that Jesus is the hope of the world, but it's not over. That's part of it. I don't mean to just like brush through the, the confession of the Christ. It's a big deal. But listen, listen to what happens to Peter. Look at what Peter hears right after this. After Peter proclaims that Jesus is the Christ, look at Jesus' response in verse 18. Jesus says back to him, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here's what just happened. It, it's a, there's this grammatical thing going on in the original language that it, they're meant to be a parallel um, set of statements right there. Peter tells Jesus who he is. You're the Christ. And then in response, Jesus tells Peter who he is. That here's what Matthew, the author here, is kind of subtly saying. If you know who Jesus is, he can tell you who you are. And so the local church, yes, proclaims who Jesus is. And when we do that, we are finally able to know and be named by him. That's what he says right there. I tell you, you're Peter which means Petra, which is rock. Like there's this, there's, we'll talk about that more in a couple of weeks, but there's this, uh, I'm giving you an identity, Peter, and only I can give you that, and you wouldn't be able to hear it unless you knew who I was. So yes, the church is about proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the hope of the world, but when we do that, our, our, our blessed recipient nature of that is that we get to also hear who we are. And here's the kicker, that when Jesus tells you who you are, if you know who you are, you won't need your other spheres to tell you who you are. You'll already know who you are. If you know who you are, you won't need anybody else to tell you who you are. And all of those spheres are dying to tell you who you are. So I was listening to a podcast last week. I don't normally do that. Kind of a contrarian anti-podcast. I'm kind of tired of them. So I was listening to one. I'm not going to tell you which one. And... Um, and it was kind of talking about the, uh, the curse of the silver medal. 
And they, they kind of robbed from Jerry Seinfeld 20 years ago, who also talks about the hilariousness of winning the silver, silver medal, like, you know, out of all the losers, you came in first sort of thing. Like, no one lost better than you. You were the first loser sort of thing. Um, and so this, this person is talking about silver medal winners from, for the last 50 or 60 years, and how basically the trajectory of silver medal winners is not great. They, they've struggled massively in life after they come back from the Olympics, not knowing who they are. Their life expectancy goes down, they're stressed, they're anxious, they're depressed. Silver medal winners do not turn out well, uh, so to speak, in, in life post-Olympics. And so the comparison is made like, well, if you win gold, you won gold, you're the best. Like, that's great for you and your ego. And then if you win bronze, and this is Jerry Seinfeld, he says, well, you know, at least you got something. But the silver medalist doesn't really know what to do. It's like, well, I worked my whole life, and I lost by like half a millisecond, and now like no one knows who I am, and what am I supposed to do now if I'm not a gold medal? Who am I? Because this silver medal just gave me an identity. The silver medal told me I was the first loser. The silver medal told me that I won't be remembered, that I'm one podium step down, and I can't even be grateful for that. And so it ruins people psychologically. It steals their confidence, steals their sense of self. And so they interview Michelle Kwan, 98 Olympics, Nagano, yes, you remember? So she wins um, silver medal during the figure skating. What are those things called? The, silver, the uh, figure skating event, what's it called? The, she does her, like, uh, her bit, what's it called? Her what? Her program? It's not a program, her what? No one in here is figure skated. You don't have to act like you have. It's fine. Routine? Is that what it is? Something? Whatever. We don't know. Michelle would be so mad at us. Um, so she gets silver medal in her routine. But she's doing just fine these days. And so the po podcast interview is going, hey, how did you win silver medal and not lose your entire sense of self like everybody else? How did you, lose, how did you not win gold? How did you win silver and not lose all of your confidence how did you not lose your mind like all these other silver medalists do? And she essentially says back to the interviewer, um, I was able to win a silver medal and be okay because I already knew who I was before I went to the Olympics. I already had an identity for my family and my community and my soul that I didn't need the silver medal to give me an identity. I already had an identity. <laughs> See, because whatever sphere you find yourself in, it will be trying to give you an identity. Like, let me ask this question. What kind of parent are you? Do you think your performance at home every day is trying to name you? Like, how are you doing with that? Or how about this? Um, how successful are you in the music industry right now? Are you successful enough? How's that going for you? Every day when you wake up to go to that sphere, it's trying to give you an identity and tell you who you are. But what would it be like, or can you imagine what it would be like, that regardless of what sphere God called you into, that when you went there, you knew you had a secure and solid identity already. And so now you're going into the spheres that God has called you, wherever that is, and now I don't need this sphere to tell me who I am. I already know who I am. And so now I can actually be in this sphere with the keys of the kingdom and bring health and wholeness and peace here, because there isn't so much on the line anymore. I can be actually a great husband and not need my husbandry to give me an identity like pass fail at the end of every day because my identity has already been set and so how my marriage is doing is now no longer has the ability to name me. Jesus has named me. That's who I am. Now I'm free to go to my spheres wherever that is and bring the keys of the kingdom with me. So do you know who you are? 
Because if you don't, your sphere will tell you. It's already telling you. It's screaming at you to tell you who you are. Where are you looking for someone or something to tell you who you are? Are you looking at your income? Are you looking at your performance? Are you looking at your marriage? Are you looking at your fame? Or how about this one? This is kind of a metaphysical sphere that many of us can spend time in. Uh, Are you spending time in the sphere of your past, letting your past tell you who you are? Or how about the sphere of your future, which is, isn't even re- hasn't even happened yet, but we imagine how it's going to happen, and then that sphere of, I spend some time in the sphere of my future, and then that sphere begins to tell me who I am right now. Well, if you call this place home, even if you aren't sure yet, let me tell you what you can be sure of, of the institution or the organization of Midtown 12 South. Every week, through sermons, through small group, and over coffee, we will proclaim to you first who Jesus is, and in so doing, we will tell you who you are. And we will do everything we can to dig into your heart and unearth all of your old identities and give you the one that only Jesus can give you. And here's the one that Jesus gives you. You're his. If you knew that, if you believed that week in and week out, you would go into your spheres with the keys of the kingdom. And you would bring health and wholeness and peace to whatever sphere you find yourself in. If you know you're his, you'll be free to go back with the keys. And here's why this gets so, I mean, it makes so much sense. This idea that the kingdom brings shalom, brings health, wholeness, and peace. Do you know that when you find out that you will belong to Jesus, that that can heal you? That that can make you whole and that can put your soul at ease, that can give you peace. And so here's the crazy idea. When Jesus gives you the keys, he's not giving you something that you don't know how to use. Because here's what he's giving you. He's giving you the keys that fit perfectly with who you are. Of course I know what it means to bring health and wholeness and peace into my sphere. Because that's who I am. Do I feel like it? No. Do certain days make me unconvinced that I actually am healed, whole, and at peace? Of course. Does my performance on different days, obedience and disobedience, rob me of the identity he's given me? Absolutely. But when Jesus hands you the keys, he's saying, yeah, yeah, you can handle these. Because this is who you are. You're a healed person because of what he's done for you. He's made you whole and he's put you at peace. He's not worried about you because of what he's done for you. And so now we carry these keys and they like fit in my pocket. It's like, oh, this, this was, I was made to hold these keys because that's who I am. That's what this church will nourish its people with. That's what this organization will pour into the organism week in and week out. And so if, you will, if, you will, if you're checking us out, I would, I would, we would love for you to keep checking us out. That's what you're going to get. If you've been here for any time, I hope that doesn't surprise you, but I hope it gives you a little bit of a vision of who we are, what we're about, and why we do it. Let's pray. Jesus, there are so many um, spheres that are trying to name us. We name ourselves uh, abandoned. We name ourselves forgotten. We name ourselves chaotic. But the name that you give us that only the Messiah can give us is so much sweeter. It puts us back together. It heals us. And so in this time, as we're gathered here, um, in this time of corporate worship, in this time to hear your word, feed us, 
Lead us to living water, we pray. Lead us to green pastures. Nourish us that as we leave here, we know who we are. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.